You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly. Your host is Dr. Lisa Mazzullo, Assistant Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University Medical School, the Feinberg School of Medicine. Preterm labor is the largest known cause of neonatal morbidity and mortality. Can we prevent preterm labor and delivery? I'm joined with Dr. Alan Kiesman, Professor of Maternal Fetal Medicine at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine and Chief of the Division of Maternal Fetal Medicine at Northwestern University Hospital. Dr. Kiesman and I are discussing the possibilities of prevention and treatment for preterm labor. Dr. Kiesman, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Let's start with a definition. I mean, how would you define preterm labor? Well, officially, premature labor or preterm birth is defined as delivery before 37 weeks gestation or more than three weeks before a woman's due date. Premature labor is one of the causes of preterm birth and is usually defined as regular uterine contractions of sufficient frequency and intensity to result in premature delivery if no actions are taken. Who do you think is at risk for preterm birth? There are a number of recognized risk factors for premature birth. The main ones are multiple gestation and a history of a prior preterm birth. Certain other physical findings have been associated with premature birth, such as early cervical dilatation or shortening. And in counseling patients who present to you possibly prior pregnancy delivery at 32 weeks, how do you counsel those patients about their risk for the next pregnancy? Well, it's significantly increased. We think it may be somewhere around 30 to 50 percent recurrence risk. Sometimes it'll still be premature, but not as premature. And if they get closer to term, the baby may do better. Or it could be even earlier the next time with a much more guarded prognosis. Do you think there are any measures we can offer these patients to try to reduce these risks? Physicians have been struggling with this for you know, decades and trying to prevent premature birth. And we haven't had a whole lot of success. And if you look at the statistics, even the rates of premature birth in this country are increasing rather than decreasing despite all the effort and money that's being spent on this problem. Do you think that's happening because the increase of multiple gestations in artificial reproductive technology? I think that's a big part of it, but also the fact that our strategies are not fixing the problem and some of the problems have socioeconomic bases. It's a very complex and difficult problem to address. But something has come along in the past few years which has gotten a a number of people excited and is potentially a promising therapy for some patients, and that's the use of progesterone. This is not a a new concept. A number of doctors were using intramuscular progesterone, a particular type of progesterone called progesterone caproate, which is given on a weekly basis. And a number of people believed in it back in the 70s and 80s for patients at high risk for premature birth. It fell out of favor and actually went off the market in the early 90s, but an NICHD-sponsored clinical trial was performed and published a few years ago, which showed about a third reduction in premature deliveries among women with prior premature birth. 
What do you think the mechanism behind the use of the progesterone for these patients can be? The basic science behind this is still not entirely clear. There is some thoughts that it will decrease uterine contractility. The mechanism on the cellular level may be uh, reduction in gap junctions and affecting oxytocin receptors is one hypothesis as well. The fact that whether or not it works, fortunately, is not dependent on us being sure of the exact mechanism of action. As far as the progesterone, you said you would give it weekly. When would you usually start that progesterone therapy for these patients at higher risk for preterm delivery? The use that we are have moved into, those of us who started using it based on this trial, personally, I think it's very important to stick to the criteria that were used in the trial. And in the trial, patients who were eligible began treatment between 16 and 20 weeks gestation. And so that's what I recommend uh, to patients that are interested in this. Is the criteria for the study purely based on the time they delivered in the prior pregnancy? No, I'm not entirely sure how they came to that conclusion. I think it had to do something with the idea that they wanted to make sure that it started early enough because of the theories that the problem of premature birth may have its origins in the beginning of the second trimester. And so they wanted to make sure it got started early enough to affect the process early on. Have you seen any data outside of this study that talks about progesterone usage in a different mode of delivery, for example, oral or vaginal progesterone? Not the oral progesterone, but around the time that this study came out in the New England Journal, another study came out from South America talking about vaginal progesterone and showing some efficacy there. This is still up in the air because... Subsequent trials have been either mixed or negative. There was a, just this past month, a, a research trial was published comparing vaginal progesterone versus placebo, showing no benefit to the vaginal progesterone. Were you surprised at that result? Well, I'm not sure I'd say I was surprised. that we There's been some... T- talk all along as to how important it was that we were using progesterone caprolate versus other forms of progesterone. So there has always been this doubt that it's not just some form of progesterone, but it has to be a particular type to work. Now, it would have been nice if we had another vehicle that patients could administer to themselves at home and not have to come to the doctor's office or at least involve an injection once a week. Well, hopefully new research and different dosing will maybe show that it will work in another study. There are a number of people that are working on this right now, and I think it is important. There's a lot of work left to be done. For instance, you know, it the trials that have been done so far were one size fits all, a single dose, and potentially some of the negative effect could have been due to underdosing in uh, certain patients who are of larger size or some mechanism like that. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Advances in Women's Health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lisa Mazzullo, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Alan Peaceman about the challenges and hopefully preventive measures that we can use regarding patients who suffer for preterm delivery and preterm labor. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Peaceman. So we were talking about progesterone and the different types and how we don't have all the answers yet, but we are suggesting this progesterone therapy intramuscularly from about 
16 to 20 weeks. And to what end point would you suggest? That is also somewhat unclear. I think it's reasonable to stop somewhere around 36 weeks, especially if a patient is completely asymptomatic. If we were to to review again some more specific aspects of the trial, it was only for women with a prior premature birth, either for premature labor or premature rupture of membranes. As such, it was not for women with other risk factors for preterm birth. So any conclusions that we might draw from that study have to be limited to the context with which it, it was trialed. So, for example, can you clarify which women you feel should not receive the progesterone who have had a preterm issue? Well, for instance, we are not currently recommending it for patients with multiple gestation. The same group that did the original trial showing efficacy published this summer an identical study, but recruiting only people with twins and triplets, showing no benefit at all in that group of patients. They have also initiated another trial where they are seeing if it has benefit in patients who haven't delivered but four, but are incidentally identified to have a short cervical length in the mid-trimester. We know that that group of women is at much increased risk for premature birth, and we are trialing to see whether progesterone will diminish that risk to some degree. So what you're alluding to are some of the clinical or biochemical predictors that have become popular in the last five years in helping to predict the people at risk for their first preterm labor event, such as the cervical length on ultrasound. Is that correct? That is correct. And I think that's part of the major advances we've made in the last 10 or 15 years is we've got some reasonably good predictors of who's going to deliver early. But until now, we've really had nothing to do with those results. And it draws into the question the value of screening if there's nothing you can do about it. And again, the progesterone caproate that we've been talking about is not looking like a panacea for everyone. The efficacy that has been demonstrated is in a relatively small portion of the women who ultimately will deliver prematurely. And if this is the only place where it's found to be effective, it will be very good for those women. But the ultimate effect on the prematurity rate will be rather modest. Do you think that the acknowledgement of preterm labor risk could allow increased surveillance so that there can be early intervention for these patients? Well, again, it depends on what you mean by early intervention. If we don't have any intervention strategies that are all that effective, early identification is of limited value. So we do practice most obstetricians when a patient uh, is found to have premature labor, they will use medications to try and stop that labor. But the value of those medications and the efficacy of actually reducing infant morbidity and mortality is in question. What is probably less controversial is if you identify a this patient at increased risk, it gives you an opportunity to administer steroids to the mother, which will pass to the infant and advance lung function so that the incidence of respiratory complications will be diminished and survival will be improved. 
A special thanks to our guest, Dr. Alan Peaceman, who has helped to define the challenges of trying to reduce preterm delivery in patients who have already undergone that in the past and some of the technologies that we hope to see more positive information about in the future. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Mazzullo. To get additional information, ask questions or comments, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly, with your host, Dr. Lisa Mazzullo. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, please go to ReachMD.com forward slash women's health.